Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Would you pray with me? Oh, Holy Spirit, that is our prayer, that you would breathe new life into us. We thank you so much for your presence with us today. We thank you for how you've already been speaking to us, and we pray that during this time, as we open your word, that you would continue to speak to our hearts and our minds, that you would continue to do a work of transformation in us. And for any who have yet to connect with you, we pray that they would hear you so clearly today and know the depth of the love that you have for them and your desire to be in an eternal relationship with them. And so we ask for your blessing of your presence with us now. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. In the summer of 1994, I had just finished my freshman year at Western and I was on summer break and looking for work. And so I decided to join a framing crew. And what a great experience that was. Learned so much. Uh, Anybody who hasn't done construction, oh my goodness, thank you so much for your work as construction workers. But I learned a lot that summer. And one of the first things I learned is the importance of having the right tool with you. And in addition to that tool, you needed to have thick skin. My first day on the job, I met Jimmy, and Jimmy had just gotten out of prison a couple of weeks earlier, and he was the first guy I'd ever met that had just gotten out of prison. And Jimmy reminded me, did you ever watch The Muppets? Well, Jimmy reminded me of Animal in The Muppets. He kind of had that look, he had that crazy laugh that he would just do every now and then, and he gravitated towards me which just made me kind of uncomfortable. And he spent that whole first day teasing me about the size of my hammer. So my boss had told me that when I got to work that day, he said, I need three things. I needed a good pair of boots, I needed a work belt, and I needed a hammer. And so I found out that, you know, the hammer you keep at the house for hanging pictures is not what they want to use in framing. I know now. And so he just had so much fun that day. And I spent my first day going back and forth between, you know, wondering what he actually did to get in prison. And secondly, being self-conscious about my hammer. And so I'll tell you, when I got off work that night, I went to the store and I bought the biggest framing hammer that they had. So I still have that hammer too. But I learned a lot and I was so green. I mean, that first day, I'm embarrassed to share some of the stories, but I'll tell you one. One of the framers was working on one of the boxes on the, on the roof, and he pointed down to a, a pile of scraps and asked me to bring him a piece of a two-by-four. And, and I did not know what a two-by-four was. And so, and I won't say what I brought him because it's embarrassing, but it was not a two-by-four. And this was the beginning of a series of learning lessons for me. And, and I'll tell you, my boss had so much patience. And, but he also, we had a number of moments of correction. And, and he could correct me in such colorful ways. But, and, and he had this, I remember, he, he, he had this comment, he'd say this to, to any of us. He said, if y'all don't get after it, I'm gonna send you to the house. I mean, this was his common theme, just as part of his correction. But I also learned that if you show up on time, if you persist and you do everything the boss boss says, there's a lot of grace to be had. (laughs) And so anyways, I enjoyed, well, I don't know if joy is the right word, but I did, I worked for him for two summers and learned so much. 
One other thing that I learned in, in house construction is the importance of having the right foundation. And I brought a couple of illustrations with me. Every site that we went to had a lot of this. And as a general laborer, this is where I mostly spent my time, was in the dirt. But every site that we went to also had a lot of this. In fact, we didn't show up to any site until this was in place. Whenever our guys started to put in the, root, put in the, the floor for a house, we had to have the concrete block in place. Now, could we have shown up and, and laid the, the floor without the foundation? Well, you're looking at me ridiculous because only a fool would do that. When we laid every, every, every floor, we always bolted it onto a foundation of rock. And Jesus taught us about a very similar principle when it comes to our lives in Matthew chapter 7. And that's the, the passage that we're going to be going to today. It's Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. So I, I hope you'll turn, turn there with me. Jesus shares about the sort of foundation that he wants us to have for our lives. And what a foundation looks like that the wise man puts in place and what a foundation that the fool puts in place. Would you read Matthew 7, 24 to 27 with me? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus wants us to be prepared for the storms of life, and especially for that final storm that we all will face, our deaths. The theme for today's message is, when we practice the teachings of Jesus, we will be prepared for the storms of life. Matthew 7, 24 to 27 is actually the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Today we're going to explore the characteristics of a life with a firm foundation. A life with a firm foundation we see in this Sermon on the Mount has three characteristics. And the first is a life with a firm foundation has a heart that has been changed by Jesus. Our hearts have always been God's principal objective. Now we think about our time on this earth and the 80 or so years that we might get, but Jesus's mind is on eternity. This life is not all that God desires for us. God's desire is that after we die, we would enjoy heaven with him forever. But for us to experience heaven with him, our hearts have to be changed. Our hearts, as they start, are not fit for heaven. And a heart entrusted to God will not look like a heart committed to this world. Right at the beginning of Jesus' sermon, there's the Beatitudes. And these Beatitudes describe someone who has entrusted their heart to God. A heart changed by God will be prepared to mourn because that person knows who to turn to for comfort. A heart changed by God is at peace being meek now because that person wants to follow Jesus' example. 
Jesus was the greatest man who was in any room at any given time, but he was also one who was willing to be the lowest servant. A heart changed by God hungers and thirsts for the righteousness of God because that person knows that a righteous life from God is where true satisfaction is found. A heart changed by God is capable of mercy because that person is aware of the mercy that they need. A heart changed by God is pure because that person's been cleaned by Jesus. A heart changed by God will be a peacemaker because that's how God's children behave. A heart changed by God will be prepared for undeserved persecution because their mind is not merely on the present. Their mind is set on their destiny, which is heaven. A heart entrusted to God should look different from a heart not committed to God. It must. Those of us whose hearts have been changed by God should not be able to easily blend into the world. We should stand out. There's, just as there's a difference between light and dark, there's a difference between clean and dirty. A clean heart should look different. Now, having a heart that's been cleansed by Jesus doesn't mean we'll avoid storms. We won't avoid painful or difficult moments. But if you have a heart changed by God, you'll have the foundation to sustain you in that moment. I don't have to tell you that life's storms hit us all the time. You don't have to raise your hand, but is anyone dealing with chaos in your family or workplace right now? What about unfair questioning of your credibility? Anyone facing the diagnosis of a terminal illness? Has anyone recently experienced the untimely death of a loved one? This is some of the big ones of many storms that we face. Why does God allow Christians to suffer and experience pain like this? Well, this world needs to see Christians go through suffering. They need to see how God brings us through. This world needs to see our forgiveness and acts of mercy when the world has none. This world needs to see our desire to express purity, virtue, righteousness, when others aren't. This world needs to see what peacemaking looks like when the opposite is so often lift up and lifted up and celebrated. This world, especially when it comes to times, the time of death, needs to see what it's like to mourn as a Christian. It still hurts, there's still pain. But the world, when the world mourns, it leads to goodbyes. When Christians mourn, it leads to see elaters. There's hope in a Christian the way we mourn. If we blend into this world and act no differently during storms, why should the world listen to us? You don't put salt on your food if the salt has no taste, do you? There should be a difference. When the world sees us go through storms with our hearts that have been changed by Jesus and our eyes that are set on heaven, when they see us get through storms in ways that they don't see others, we shine a giant spotlight on Jesus so they know who to turn to when they go through their storm. When your heart has been changed, the security and knowledge about the future that accompanies that change becomes a rock to 
to stand on when those storms come. Is your heart secure or is it on sandy ground? When your heart's secure with God, it also changes your perspective on life. Point number two today is a life with a firm foundation has a perspective that is shaped by Jesus. One of the things the Sermon on the Mount provides us is a gift. It provides us with the gift of God's perspective. I enjoy behind the scenes. Have you, do you enjoy watching behind the scenes for movies where you get to hear a director explain, give the rest of the story to the story? Or have you ever gotten to hear an author share more about why they wrote a particular book? It's just, I love, I love that, that extra peek at what was going on behind there. And within the Sermon of the Mount, we get to see Jesus give a little bit of the rest of the story, the intent behind the law. The religious leaders, they knew how to present the law backwards and forwards, but the law was primarily used to address the actions, that which everyone could see. Jesus gave the the people and the religious leaders clarity. The law's purpose wasn't merely to conform people's actions. The law's purpose was also meant to expose the need for hearts to change. Sin happens on the inside, before it happens on the outside. And so in Matthew 5, you see over and over Jesus saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, don't murder. But I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother is subject to judgment. You have heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, don't resist an evil person. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. These were all old teachings that they had experienced, but Jesus was providing new explanations. Did Jesus make the commands easier? No, he didn't. They actually learned when they heard through Jesus that the, his perspective made these, these laws more different, difficult. He revealed how high God's standard actually was, and he needed to. The expectations of heaven are high, and heaven has requirements that we can't achieve on our own. If we're going to be prepared for heaven, we need the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We need truth about ourselves and where we stand before God. We need God to get deep into our business, which isn't comfortable. But if we want a life with a solid foundation, we've gotta be honest with ourselves and real with God. We've gotta know what's beneath the surface. Have you seen those drilling machines at new construction sites before they put in a big building? God's word is often like one of those where they they used to bore into the ground and see what's there before they come in and start the project. God's word reveals what's beneath the surface. It confirms if things are good or if things need to change. It helps us to see what things are buried there that we need to address. And so if we want a, a solid foundation, we must ask God for his perspective. I love these two verses. One is, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in in me. It's a great prayer. Another in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me 
and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any impurity in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a great prayer that I've prayed many times. Sin is like a cancer in that it can remain out of sight, damaging us until it's too late. When you're dealing with a cancer, do you want a doctor that doesn't tell you the whole truth or that just says things to make you feel better about the situation? No. When you're dealing with cancer, you want, you want to know how it is. You want to know, all right, doc, you know, is this surgery? Is this chemo? Is this radiation? What's, what's it going to take to get through this? You want the truth. Well, we have to take sin even more seriously than cancer. Cancer can take this life, which is bad enough, but sin can interrupt the next life, the eternal life that God desires for us. When it comes to sin, you don't want to wait till you've got stage two anger or stage three adultery. We need to address sin right at the beginning. Ask God to help us. God, I want to be clean and right with you. So I ask, are you open to God changing, his, opening your, his, your, with his perspective of your life? Are you open to hearing his perspective of your life? I want to share that psalm one more time. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You can do life, any of us can, on our own terms. That's our choice. But you're going to struggle when life storms hit. And if you aren't aligned with God, you'll find yourself to be an eternal failure. But if you want a life that has a firm foundation, if you want to be an eternal success in God's eyes, ask Jesus to speak to you. Ask him to examine your heart, to help you look inside what is there. He loves you so much, and he has such great plans for you. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount reveals a third characteristic of lives that have a firm foundation. A life with a firm foundation has actions that are guided by Jesus. There's so many instructions in the Sermon on the Mount. It, Sermon on the Mount, it starts in chapter 5 of Matthew and it goes all the way through chapter 7 about how we should live. How should we make promises? How do I handle mistreatment? How do I love for my enemies? How do I give charitably in a way that pleases God? How do I pray in a way that pleases God? What does fasting look like that pleases God? What treasures should I pursue in this life? What treasures should I avoid? How do I judge others? What sort of prayer moves God to action? How do I identify the path to eternal life? How can I recognize false teachers? How do I recognize true believers? There's so much in the Sermon of the Mount. Then we're not gonna cover it all today. But according to Jesus, all of these teachings are part of having a firm foundation, practicing them, not just hearing them. So when I look at these, am I at a place where if someone slaps me, I'm ready to turn the other cheek? <laughs> no, I'm not yet but that doesn't mean that I ignore the command. And I don't believe that this command is about exposing ourselves to abuse. I believe this command is about exposing a cold heart to warm love, 
What happens when ice encounters heat? Well, when hate encounters love, a door just might open for God to speak. Am I at a place where I only think about treasures that are in heaven? No, there's plenty of treasures that this earth offers that draw my eye still. But my priorities are increasingly dominated by God's desires. Am I at a place where I never worry about tomorrow? I can stop to worry anytime, anytime I let myself. There is always something to worry about. But with God's perspective, I'm able to have peace in the midst of these worries. Am I at a place where I judge others in a way that God's proud of? No, I mean, it's always easier to see what you're doing wrong and not see what I'm doing wrong. But God continues to change my heart and he's helping me to appreciate the forgiveness that he's extended to me and that he wants me to extend to others. God, God's command set a high bar, an incredibly high bar, and my actions don't line up with it yet. In fact, until our hearts are changed by God and until our perspective aligns more with God's, our actions are not gonna line up with his standards. It's not an overnight change that we experience. And I think as Christians, we have to remember that. You know why many people visit our churches and don't come back? It's not because of Jesus or his message. It's often because of us. We expect people who are not yet saved to act like people who are saved. That's an impossible thing. We expect people whose hearts have not yet been changed by Jesus, whose perspectives have not yet been shaped by Jesus, to have actions that look like Jesus. We're expecting the impossible. When we expect people who are not saved to act like people who are saved, we make them feel ashamed and unwelcomed. And we become just like the Pharisees that Jesus was warning about. Does it help when you're dirty for someone to come up and point that out? No. When someone who's dirty comes to us, what they need is to be pointed in the direction towards how to get clean. That's what they need. When someone who's spiritually unclean comes to us, we need to show them the way to Jesus. Now, someone who's spiritually unclean, they may not be ready for leadership, for teaching, or being around our kids, but they should never be disqualified from being shown the love and the mercy of Jesus. It's an important theme, and these are important foundation points that, that the Sermon on the Mount shares. And God wants us to have a strong foundation with him. So I want, want to just remind us in, in, in going back that a life with a strong foundation has these three elements, a heart changed by Jesus, a perspective shaped by Jesus, and actions directed by Jesus. But there's one action that we must all take before we can have that strong foundation that God desires. We've got to put our trust in Jesus. My little girl, Sophia, sometimes comes up to me and out of the blue will say, Daddy, we're gonna die someday, right? It'll take you back if you haven't had that, but this is, and I'll say, yes. 
And then she immediately follows, but if we have Jesus, we'll go to heaven, right? Yes. And then she likes to go and list members of our family that have passed and who are in heaven now. This is such a healthy conversation. Starting with the end in mind at the beginning helps so much for us to know. I love it when any of my kids want to come up and talk about eternity. This life is not all that there is. In fact, if we were to compare this life to a book without end, at most, this life would be chapter one. And this life is it's like a choose-your-own-adventure book. Do you remember those? Depending on the choice you made at a certain point in the book, the story would change. Well, the choices we make now will affect what chapter two looks like. God, he's got an eternal adventure ahead of us that will blow our minds. But whether or not we get to enjoy that adventure is dependent on the choices that we make in chapter one. The most important choice that we make is to trust and follow Jesus. And I've gotta be honest with all of us. If the choice that you make is not to trust and follow Jesus, there is no chapter two. But God wants you to have a chapter two. He doesn't want the storm of death to mark your end. He wants your story to continue. And that's why he sent Jesus, to die on the cross, to take the place for the punishment that we deserved. And if we'll confess our sins to him, the Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants us to have a chapter two and a chapter three and a chapter four. He has plans and adventures for us that will be amazing. But this life precedes that adventure. This life prepares us for that adventure. This life is where we decide if we want that adventure. Right now, we get an unclear glimpse of what heaven will be like through many of the delights that we experience all the time. But one day, those who trust and follow Jesus will see him clearly face to face, and we will enjoy the delights of heaven in their full reality. Would you pray with me? Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.